Good morning, Winnie. I guess this works. I'd like to thank the Council Ring for this opportunity to talk with you all. Definitely a bit of a stretch for me. I'm much more comfortable sitting on the inn porch and rocking, not saying too much, just enjoying your presence. Being here in front of you is very special, and I thank you for all the love you're sharing with me now. I can feel it. Preparing for the talk, I thought about some of the talks that have been presented in the past. I wasn't, here, I wasn't there to hear it, but I was told that Frank Laubach, an old-time Winnie giant, once asked to have a rocking chair brought up on the stage, although it was at the chapel, and continued on to give a 45-minute talk, rocking silently. I thought, now that has potential but probably not what people want to hear. I also considered playing a recording of one of the old Glenn Clark talks. There's something special and historic about an old reel-to-reel -reel recording. But once again, not much of a personal sharing. So here I go. This is my sharing. My 30 years at Winnie have been very formative for me. I've always been drawn to the outdoors. Growing up in Ohio, I enjoyed camping for a weekend at one of the state parks or visiting my Aunt Catherine and Uncle Rusty at their farm for a week or two in the summer. They had some horses and ponies and some woods behind their house. Not really a farm, but all their neighbors in southern Ohio were farmers. It wasn't until later that I realized why I loved it so much. When I got out of school, I took a trip to Virginia and a hike in Shenandoah National Park. A week-long hike in the mountains on the Appalachian Trail. After that experience, I loved being in the mountains, traveling at your own pace on a journey that brought you to an amazing outlook or a beautiful wildflower or the top of a mountain. So when my sister Kathy moved to Rockport, Massachusetts, I planned a trip to the White Mountains of New Hampshire using her place as a starting and ending point. They're not very far from here. This was the first time I had seen the ocean and the mountains were only two and a half hours away. So about a year later, I moved to Rockport. As Bert Curley, a wonderful CFO speaker from London who spoke here at Winnie several times would say, what a bit of luck. One day, when I was working on Bearskin Neck, which is a, a tourist draw in Rockport, Mass., I heard two women working in the shops across the street talking about Canton, Ohio. Now, I grew up in Canton, and I had left there just a few months before, so I had to chime in that I was from Canton, Ohio, too. That was the day I met Sarah. <laughs> we knew many people in common back in Ohio, even went to the same junior high school for a year. But we went to different high schools, so we didn't meet until Rockport, Mass. Destiny. What a bit of luck. <laughs> Did God have a plan for me? As many of you know, Sarah and I were married a few years later, had a daughter, Elizabeth, in 1984, 
and first came to Winnie in 1988. That year, Sarah was in a prayer group at our church in Gloucester with Taffy and Milt Anderson and Peg and Bob Welsh, and they encouraged us to try Winnie. Sarah was ready to go, but I was not so sure it would work for me. A week at Lake Winnipesaukee, praying and singing and communing with God wasn't really what I was comfortable with, at least not in my mind. Milt encouraged me, saying it was okay to just go and enjoy the lake and the woods around it. I could pick and choose what I did at camp. I found out that wasn't entirely true. <laughs> <laughs> to really experience camp, you need to follow Glenn's flow through the day. It turned out that the week of camp that year, I couldn't take a week's vacation. So I agreed to take Sarah and Elizabeth up to camp on, Sunday, or on Saturday, stay for the weekend, and come back on Friday night for the last weekend. We stayed until Sunday in those days. Seemed like a good way to get an introduction to, and maybe still avoid, Glenn Clark's vision of, kingdom, of God's <laughs> kingdom on earth. After all, it isn't very far from the mountains. I knew I would miss my wife and daughter, but the description I had of Winnie didn't fit into my comfort zone, so it didn't bother me very much that I would miss the rest of the week. I always believed in God from my earliest days, but prayer wasn't a real part of my life. I've always believed, uh, see where I am. I'm looking, and looking back now, I had a strong sense that God loved me and was always with me, but it wasn't part of my day-to-day -day life. It wasn't a conscious thing to me. I wasn't exactly denying God in me, but I wasn't exalting God in me either. I decided to go to that first prayer group with no real expectation, but an open mind, and as it turned out, an open heart. In that prayer group, I remember after only two days, a member of the group named Judy knew I was leaving that night to go back to the outside world and to work. She convinced me to sit in the center of the group and be blessed. I was willing, and as she and others prayed, I felt God's love burning in me and asked God to let, me lo let that love shine through me. It was a sensation I had never felt before or have experienced as strongly since. Judy only came to Winnie that one time. Her experience there was not as positive as mine, but she was there for me. What a bit of luck. Sarah told me later that she and Mary Pat Sabine prayed together that I would be open to the spirit. They prayed that Sarah and I could share a spiritual life together. Sarah was way ahead of me on her spiritual path, still is, but that experience in my first prayer group opened me up to the possibilities of a spiritual journey we could share. Answered prayer is a wonderful thing. After all these years, I still am simple in my beliefs, but God's love is real to me, and God's presence is always with me. Sometimes I forget to remember that, but it's getting to be less and less. 
From that time on, I have known that God is with me, Christ is in me, the Spirit guides me. When you've been part of something for more than 30 years, you get an opportunity to do a lot of things. Often it's things that you're comfortable with, even your strengths, but sometimes the opportunity is way outside your comfort zone. meeting when Sarah was secretary. We were discussing leadership positions and having a problem coming up with names for leading the high school group. We had a large group and many of them liter literally grew up at camp, starting at Winnie as babies and that year going to their senior year in high school. They were good kids and deserved the best. Sarah and I had hoped that someone's name would come forward. No one's did. After much discussion, the ring went into silence, and when we were done, Sarah volunteered us to lead the group. <laughs> My immediate reaction was, this is going to be a stretch. I had helped Georgie Gamble at camp with second and third graders years before, but Georgie led the program. I just led the creative time and was a helper. And our daughter Elizabeth was in that age group. That's what parents do, help out. But the high school group would be different. We had no experience leading young people, no training, no expertise, no experience even staying up late at camp. <laughs> it was a huge challenge in my mind but it turned into a real blessing. What a bit of luck. I remember about 20 high schoolers in the group. They'd been together for many years and loved each other. They were very bonded and welcomed Sarah and I into their group. They took good care with us. They were kind and understanding and loving. They knew we loved them and they gave us back, gave that back to us. That love made up for our inexperience leading youth. We had fun. The big event for the high school group at the end of camp is mission night. This was especially daunting for Sarah and I. We didn't have any experience with this ourselves and weren't involved with any of Elizabeth's missions. So we didn't really know what a mission night was. That year, Burns was at camp and he assured us that all the kids really wanted to do was run around at night in the woods together. <laughs> we came up with an idea that worked pretty well after splitting into two groups, following clues, and performing tasks that mirrored the camp day, like giving a meditation at the stone pulpit, leading a rhythm on the field, and saying a prayer at the chapel. All the kids gathered in the middle of the rhythms field the plan was for everyone to lay in the field in a circle with their heads in the center, and Sarah would be in the center and bless each one by name. At 11 o'clock at night, it's dark on the field, and identifying people upside down <laughs> with hoods and hats by flashlight turned out to be a difficult task. After a few attempts and lots of laughter, we had a group blessing and headed to the campfire. 
It was a beautiful experience for Sarah and me, and I feel a special bond of love with those kids. Many of them are still able to come to camp. It's hard to get back to Winnie with college and new jobs, but they've made that commitment. Rebecca Kerr is our audiovisual sound guru, Christine Powers, meditation coordinator, writing leader, council ring member. Ethan Kerr led the high school group with his dad. I think it was 14, 15, and 16. Anders is tomorrow's lamplighter, visual expression creatives leader, former council ring member. Harrison Rokes is a high school group leader with his brother Emery and on council ring. Dan Rainey, leader of the junior high with his sister Katie and on council ring. And Shannon Smith is the only way I know it. And her husband Andrew are here today too. These along with the younger ones who follow them are our new leaders for today and tomorrow. Let's give them all the recognition they deserve. Thank you guys. You are our future. On the weekend of June 7th this year, Sarah signed up for a retreat weekend at Adelinrood Retreat Center, which she already mentioned, a beautiful place about a half hour from our house. She was going to stay there Friday and Saturday nights, so I thought it was a great time to take a walk in the mountains. For more than 30 years here at Winnie, I've been looking across the lake at a rock ledge about halfway up the mountain. When we sit for morning meditation, it's nicely centered, looking down the cleared LA to the lake. I knew it would have a great view of Lake Winnipesaukee and an interesting, if distant view of Geneva Point Center. I had the inspired idea to drop Sarah off at Adelinrood and continue north to Geneva Point Center. I wasn't sure if they were taking guests yet, but I called, and they were. I made sure the water was on and the shower house was open. You can live without them, but toilets are nice to have when you're camping. I got out my tent and sleeping bag, dug out my backpacking stove, loaded up my pack for the hike, and told GPC I'd be here around 7 o'clock. It's a little weird to be at Winnie, when there are no other people around. That Friday night, I saw one person way across the field walking between the inn and the chapel. I didn't talk to anyone either day I was here. I had found out the rock ledge across the lake was named Bald Knob, good name. And when I got to GPC, I decided to go to the stone pulpit to visit it through my binoculars. I took the opportunity to sit and reflect and pray. I remember thinking, what a beautiful spot Bald Knob would be for watching this sunset, or having a meditation looking at the oak tree at the end of the opening going up to the stone pulpit. After visiting the lake and walking around the campus, I set up my tent behind the barn, heated up my supper, got ready for bed, it had been a beautiful day with blue skies all day, but in the evening some clouds came in. So I said goodnight to the crescent moon and went to bed early to get some rest before the hike. About 1.30 I woke up to maybe the clearest sky I remember at Winnie, 
With no one else about, there's a lot less light, and the stars were very bright. I could easily see the Milky Way stretching across the heavens. I even saw a shooting star. What a bit of luck. Bald Knob is only 1,800 feet tall, and the trail straight up to it is only about a mile. But the 1,100-foot elevation gain in one mile makes it pretty steep. On the way up, I saw some flowers, lady slippers, wild columbines, and one I don't remember having seen before. After a little research on my phone, I found out it's called pale corydalis. Who knew? Didn't see many birds. The trees have all their leaves, but I heard some warblers and knew they were there, nearby, going about their day. Not far from the top, I came upon a pretty good overlook that I thought was the knob. It seemed a little smaller ledge than I expected, but it had the right view. I was admiring that view when some other hikers zoomed right by. They knew the true knob was further along the path. One of the things I've learned at Winnie is to make notice of what those who have gone before you have to share. Those kids didn't even look at the overlook where I was standing. They knew there was something better just ahead. So I took a photo just in case, followed the trail up the mountain. In about 10 minutes, I climbed out onto a much larger ledge with sweeping views of Lake Winnipesaukee. It wasn't quite like the ledge in The Lion King, but it had a very spectacular view on this clear spring day. All of Lake Winnipesaukee was visible. As David Hodges informed us many years ago, and Sarah reminded us today, the Native American name Winnipesaukee means smile of the great spirit. It's about 21 miles long, northwest to southeast, and one to nine miles wide, northeast to southwest, covering about 70 square miles. It has more than 250 islands, many less than a quarter of an acre in size, and is, is indented by several peninsulas, including Moultonboro Neck, the stretch of land that includes our Winnie. It has a shoreline of 288 miles. I could see it all. It's a big lake with lots of fingers, but I knew where to find our camp, just on the other side of the nearest part of the lake. I got out my binoculars and found the clearing from the lake up to the stone pulpit. A reverse viewing of what I had seen that morning and evening before from Geneva Point. It was clear enough that I could easily see the oak tree that reigns over our meditation place at the stone pulpit and part of the inn behind it standing at the end of the cleared alley that is perfectly aligned with Bald Knob. What a bit of luck. I doubt that anyone at Geneva Point planned this alignment, but after all those years of looking at Bald Knob from GPC, I got to experience exactly what I expected, perfect alignment. In God's Reach, Glenn Clark wrote, if this alignment is perfectly experienced, you will find that from that time onward, God is everywhere. You will realize that he is present in all your life, the outer as well as the inner. You will become more aware that he is radiating from your face and speaking through your lips, 
and creating beautiful things through your fingertips. You will experience the exquisite bliss of his love manifesting in your work, bringing harmony among your friends and new joys into your play. As you get quiet on a summer day and become aware of the ripple of the brook, the song of the birds, the ebb and flow of the tides, the beating of the heart, the inspiration and expiration of the breath, the waxing and waning of the moon, the alternation of day and night, the coming and going of the seasons, you begin to realize that God must have created this world as a poet creates a poem. What a marvelous insight. I haven't found perfect alignment with God, but surely this simple view back is a glimpse of it. Just knowing that God is with you and in everything around you brings you peace when you are troubled and joy when you are calm. After a marveling at Bald Knob for a half an hour, I headed back down the same trail I climbed up. Going down a mountain is always easier on the lungs and the heart rate, but not always easier on the legs. First of all, your legs are tired from climbing up, and also there is more of a pounding on the knees. I made it back to the car in about 40 minutes. It took about an hour going up. I'm not sure what I expected from the journey. No new commandments from God to share with you. But the important thing I do realize when I'm hiking is that God and Christ and the Holy Spirit are always with me and around me. Knowing that makes it easier. A few years back, Burns talked about going a-marveling, walking with the sole intent of marveling at what God has for us. Sarah and I have been doing this for decades, but I didn't have a full conscious understanding of what we were doing until Burns put a name on it. I became even more intentional and fully conscious of seeing God in the beauty around us. The simple joy of seeing a jack in the pulpit became part of our spiritual journey. And for me, hiking in the mountains, often alone, is a spiritual journey too. When you hike in the mountains, you get the opportunity to cross many streams. Most of them are small and easy to step over. Some have stepping stones to help the crossing. A few even have man-made bridges. And some a real challenge where you just take off your boots and wade through. In winter, many of these streams are bridged with snow and ice, so they're very easy to cross. In many ways, it's easier to climb a mountain in the winter. You can feel and hear the water flowing beneath you, but you just walk right over. And of course, there are some streams in the spring after a heavy rain that you just don't cross. I guess streams can be a metaphor for what we face in life. But every stream is an opportunity. Whenever I come to a stream in the woods, I have a tradition of blessing the stream and myself and the world. I bless your coming and your going and all the crossings in between. For me, streams, any moving water really, represents God's love flowing through me and the world and the universe. God's love flowing like a river. In January 2018, I happened upon a YouTube video of a 150-year-old mulberry tree in Montenegro that becomes a fountain after the spring rains. Water flows up through the hollow trunk and springs up a well 
I thought it was interesting enough to show Sarah, so we marveled at it a few times, took in its meaning for us, and went on with our lives. At the time, we were at a high point in our lives. Our daughter Elizabeth had just heard she was hired as a professor at SUNY Cortland in upstate New York on a tenure track. Not only did she get a good job, but she was moving from California back east, only a six-hour drive away, not a six-hour plane ride. We were happy. Then we got some news that changed our outlook. I was told that I had prostate cancer that was too far advanced to treat with chemicals or radiation. I would need an operation to remove the prostate. The mulberry tree spring took on a whole new significance. It symbolized God's flowing love, the power of prayer, the cleansing and healing of my body, the joy of love flowing in the world. That simple gift of seeing that spring of water meant a lot to us. What a bit of luck. With the prayers, many of them from you here, and the skill of my surgeon, the surgery went well, my healing was quick, and I'm cancer free. Isaiah, Isaiah 58.11 says, The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. That flowing spring of God's love has been a blessing to me. About five years ago, Sarah went to another retreat at Adeline Rood, a retreat led by Stephen Charleston a Native American elder of the Choctaw Nation, and a retired Episcopal bishop from Alaska. I never met him, but Sarah brought him home to me through his books and his daily sharing on Facebook. Every day but Saturday, he shares a meditation online, and Sarah often shares them in our prayer time. I am sure Stephen Charleston would embrace Glenn Clark's teachings. Who knows, maybe he's read them. Many of his meditations seem like an updated version of what Glenn might have written. On June 29, 2014, he wrote, I am never alone, for wherever I go, the Spirit seems to follow like a shadow, a quiet presence in all seasons, sharing in joy or sorrow, a wise counselor, a strong friend, a source of energy for the work that must be done. I believe we all have the same access to spiritual companionship in our lives. We are not solitary creatures left to struggle our way through hardships, but active builders of our daily lives, partnered with the Spirit, given a chance to do together what we might never accomplish alone. We have the help of God every day. We have all the tools we need. No task is too great, no blessing beyond our reach. No love we cannot give. In honor of Barbara Deal's life and heritage, I quote from Glenn Clark's The Divine Plan. I believe that the chief essential of life is to keep in touch with the Father and let the divinity that is in me manifest through me. I believe that the whole world about me is full of beauty, joy, and power, even as it is full of God and that I can share it and enjoy it if I attune myself to my divine plan and am inwardly open toward God and outwardly helpful toward man. 
I shall ask my heavenly Father and friend, who dwells within me and who has given me this vision of life, to give me his help in its realization and to help me share it with others, that it may bring peace and happiness to many. The message here for me is that God is always with us, and we all need to do, all we need to do is acknowledge that presence to have all the tools we need to live in the kingdom of on earth. Preparing for this talk, I started by putting down a list of what I've learned at Winnie. I'd like to share some of it with you. Prayer is real and powerful. It unites us, and praying in groups can magnify our experience of God. Prayer makes a difference. I've experienced too many answered prayers to think otherwise. The spiritual path is a journey. Everyone's is different, but they all lead to God. People have different understandings of the way, but if we come together to listen, amazing things can happen. I remember one of Dick Littleton's first talks at Winnie about forgiveness. After he had finished, we all sat in silence for what seemed like two or three minutes, not ready to leave that powerful moment with God. Music is a powerful tool for centering, healing, and experiencing the way of God. I remember Lorraine singing Red River Valley and The One Who Will Love You So True during one of Burns's early talks. I think we all felt the palpable presence of God in that room in the words of an old Western song. The emotions I always feel when we sing, it is well with my soul. The joy of hearing Joel's songs over and over. Music has been a large part of Sarah's in my life. As the saying goes, those who sing pray twice. Our spirituality involves all facets of our being, body, mind, and spirit. I experience this when I'm hiking. God loves me. We are all special in God's sight. God is with me. God is in me. God is in everyone. God is in the created world everywhere. God is love, and love brings joy, and joy brings peace. God's love is flowing like a river, a living spring that flows through us in the world. I always imagine God's presence as that river of love flowing through the universe, flowing in and around us all. Denise Levertoff, the poet, gives us a picture of what floating in God's love is like. As swimmers dare to lie face to the sky, and water bears them. As hawks rest upon air, and air sustains them. So would I learn to attain free fall, and float into the Creator Spirit's deep embrace, knowing no effort earns that all-surrounding grace. If we only have the faith to step off our mountain of doubts and float in God's love. But there's a risk in jumping in the water that first time. And young hawks sit in their nests and pretend to fly, flapping their wings awkwardly, practicing for the time when they finally take off and soar on the wind. God's love is always there, God's river of eternal love. We don't have to earn it, 
but we do have to free fall into God's deep embrace. God loves us all infinitely. We just have to accept that love and channel it to others. There's a river of life flowing out from me, makes the lame to walk and the blind to see, opens prison doors, sets the captives free. There's a river of life flowing out from me, spring up a well within my soul, spring up a well and make me whole, spring up a well, flow out from me, spring up a well and set me free. I'd like to leave you with another quote from Stephen Charleston from his book, Arrows of Light. How beautiful you are, O God, in all the places I find you. I see you in the early morning when the birds first wake the sun, waiting patiently for me in the garden, as fresh and green as new life can be. I watch you gather up your billowing skirts in clouds of gray and black, flashing out streamers of light like ribbons from your hair. I meet you in twilight, walking so softly beneath the trees, a quiet whisper of your breath to move the leaves along the path. How beautiful you are in all the ways I see you, in every season and every hour. Let me see you always, O God, for as long as I live, as though it were for the very first time. Amen.